Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com, check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Guys, in today's episode, we're going to sit down and talk with Quinnipiac Head Strength and Conditioning Coach Brajesh Patel about RPR. Guys, it's really a neat discussion on something that's really a hot and trending topic right now in the world of sport performance. Uh, B starts out talking about you know, what RPR is and how he got into it and how he learned about it and where he learned the techniques from. And then, you know, He's, he's open and honest and sharing some examples of RPR and how it has changed not only like his view on like training in general, but it, the actual training that he does with his student athletes, which I think is really neat. And then he kind of ties all that into Myers uh, anatomy trains, which again, you know, bringing things back full circle is always really cool to me. Um, I was really I thought that was really awesome. Then he starts sharing about how he implements it in a team setting. And then how these like these quick results are, are things that really lead into athlete buy-in quick with it. Um, because, you know, people look at these things and they think it should be hard to run in a group setting. B talks about how he does that. And we finish off talking about RPR and how it truly fits into his program and, and what additions to his program um, RPR has brought. You know, looking at how PRI fits in it and different types of exercise or modalities or contractions that to look at. Uh, while you're training your athletes. It's, it's really an awesome talk, guys. I can't thank B enough for the time. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. B, thanks for being on with us today, buddy. Jay, thanks for having me on, bud. Yeah, so listen, man, there's, there's a lot of cool stuff we've been talking about that you're doing up there at Quinnipiac. How about we just roll right into it? it sounds fantastic. It sounds fantastic. I love sharing what we do. So you guys <clears throat> have gotten into quite a bit of the RPR. So how about we start with that? Let's explain what it is, first of all, because I think that this is a pretty intriguing topic for coaches now and get into how you guys are implementing it. Yeah, so I first um, I first started learning about it last summer, I think, and the guy that kind of turned me on to it was uh, Steve Volick, who was at Yale. Um, he's not at Yale anymore, but he, um, he worked with Cal for a while, and, and this is when Cal was starting to take in the courses by Douglas Hill, the Be Activated courses. So he took the course and uh, he's like, you know, I'll come up and show you. So he showed me a bunch of the techniques and about, about what it was. And then I was intrigued. So I started looking up all over the internet, any kind of information that I could find about it. And then I was able to take the first course on the East Coast um, when it was classified as RPR, Reflexive Performance Reset. And, and it's been a hit with our athletes um, it's been a absolute game changer. I think a lot of people keep talking about that term and saying how RPR is a game changer to what they do, but in a nutshell, what it is, is, um, 
it's a combination of different techniques taken from neurolymphatics and fascial and acupuncture. And it's all in an effort to get the body to work in the most efficient way possible prior to whatever you're going to do, whether it be training or practice or a competition. It's ideally to get your brain to send the right signals to the right muscles in the most biomechanically efficient way possible so that everything can work the way it's supposed to. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. So the human body is – the more we learn about this stuff is incredible at compensating and incredible at finding different ways to do things even if it's not the most efficient efficient way. The way – I kind of see it is the the brain wants the body to be able to move and to breathe. And if it can't do those things efficiently, then it'll find other ways to accomplish that task. So if we can't breathe from our diaphragm the correct way, we'll start breathing with our neck and with our shoulders and with our scalenes and, and start using other muscles to do the job for our diaphragm. And then that's going to cause a whole host of other things to happen within our body as well. And we can get compensatory issues up and down our chain. And um, that's kind of a a general premise of it. And so what we're trying to do is almost reset the body to work the way it's supposed to with no compensation so that when we go to do our glute exercises or hip exercises, we're actually using our glutes and our hips and not – cheating with TFL or cheating with iliacus and cheating with these other muscles, which can cause an issue and cause further dysfunction down the road. Mm-hmm. Follow me so far? 100%. So uh, a little bit about the story is I had been getting into some PRI um, work and, and I've been fortunate to have some interns that were kind of well-versed in PRI and they kind of taught me about the process and taught me about what it was and, and, and how it works and how it can help. And uh, I took a course. I've done some of the home studies. We're actually going to host a PRI course at Quinnipiac in June 24th and 25th. So if anybody's around the area that wants to come up, um, you can sign up through the, through the PRI website. But anyway, I've been starting to take some of these PRI courses. And the way I understood PRI was that it was a neuroscience, right? It went much more – it went much deeper than a 90-90 hip lift. It went much deeper than um, – like different forms of muscle energy. It went into your neuroscience and getting you to understand how your brain can preferentially shift your body into certain positions and certain and, and cause these compensations within your body that are reproducible over and over and over again. And it's all kind of related to how we're how we're built and how we are structurally, but also neurally how we kind of live in a right hand dominant world and live in all these things. They kind of shift us to one side of our body or a certain state, whether it be sympathetic or parasympathetic. So PRI was I had I had a decent grasp of it. I was not I wasn't an expert at all. And then when I started to learn activation or RPR, they kind of cross roads. Like I started to learn that there's a lot more similarities between PRI and RPR than that they might even know because I think it's two different camps and I don't think they really know about each one. I think they're, they just think of their own as their own entity. And what I started to realize is that both paths lead you to where you want to get to, which is to be, make the athlete more efficient in terms of their movement right, and get them to understand how to use the right muscles to move the right joints. But they took two different ways to get there. And so I had been trying to play with PRI, PRI exercises for a good amount of time and some of our athletes got it and some of them didn't. And I felt like I was – I had to coach them really, really hard to make sure that they're doing them the right way all the time. With RPR and activation, I was able to understand how to get our athletes to do it the right way 
quicker. The buy-in was much greater with doing rubbing yourself in a couple spots like with a stick with your fingers rather than trying to get into these positions and, and shift our hips in different ways and breathe. RPR was much more – allowed me to implement it quicker and easier in our setting with our athletes. So I think that's why coaches are gravitating towards it big time because it's it's helping them coach better and it's getting their athletes to do things quicker and more efficiently and better with in probably less time. I think that that's a pretty neat thing when you're talking about taking two different schools and, and bringing them together because, you know, we all talk about how so often – we're all really trying to do the same thing and we're all really saying the thing. We're just using like a little bit different verbiage each time we talk about it. So how have you found, can you give any examples as to where there were almost aha moments where they, they fit or there were some like, like, Oh my goodness moments that it's like, I shouldn't have been doing this because this showed me that or, or I I'm really happy we were doing these because these showed me something else. Yeah, uh, it, there, there are definitely a lot of those moments, and it, the craziest thing about it is we were able to find issues. So we, I trained with hockey basketball. So like in a hockey season, a hockey is probably the most unnatural thing that you can do for your body, like in terms of skating, the velocities that they're hitting, um, the tasks that they have to accomplish, the amount of qualities that they need to perform. It, it's, it's, it's very taxing and stressful to the body and can cause a whole host of dysfunctions. And if you ever work with hockey, they're some of the tough, tough, toughest people out there. They'll hit, they'll have an injury, they'll get banged up and they'll still find ways to perform. So th- there's compensations up and down their chains at all times. We've had issue. We've had instances when a kid will come in and see like, Hey, coach B like this, my groin's kind of tight. My hip flexor is tight. We'll, we'll go through the, the, the test and try to find out where the compensation is. And you can kind of cheat from by using your neck and your face, your arm, your calf, or your quad to do the job of, in this case, we're going to test your psoas. And we'll find out where they're cheating from, where they're compensating from. We clear that, and their hip pain goes away. So we may find out that they're using their arm and their neck to compensate for their psoas. We hit some spots within their subclavius and their face and things like that. And then instantaneously, their pain's gone. Which is incredible. I know you're looking at me kind of funny. It gets it, – you have to see it to believe it. It's incredible. It's And then once you start to think about Thomas Meyer's fascial lines mm-hmm. and anatomy trains, you'll start to see that a lot of these points are the most sensitive spots within these fascial lines. You know, So you're trying to hit the most provocative area – to create the biggest change and the biggest bang for your result. It's almost like you're breaking one neural pathway and resetting the correct neural pathway to fire to the right muscle so that there's less less tightness, less 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 stress, less trauma, less less pain ultimately. Cuz pain is it pain is a pain is a response, right? Pain is a response of the nervous system. And so if we have a noxious input into the nervous system, be it a compensation, and we tell the brain, stop that firing pattern and use this one instead, then that pain can go away. That's a really simplistic way to think about it, but that's almost what you're trying to do is you're getting the brain to understand safety um, and feel like it's it, – it's, that's basically the best best way is make the brain feel like it's in a safe place and safe environment. If the brain feels like it's in a safe environment and safe place, it will work the way it's supposed to. 
it will it will allow the desired response to happen. You follow me so far? 100%. Yeah. It, because so so think about like an, in terms of an environmental stressor. You go to a place where you don't feel comfortable. Like and you don't feel you don't feel safe. Your brain is not going to allow you to ha- send the right signals to the right muscles at the appropriate time. It's probably going to limit your strength. It's probably going to limit your flexibility. It's going to probably limit your speed. It's going to limit all these things because the brain wants to know it has to protect itself. Right. So if it doesn't feel safe, it's not going to allow it to do it. So think about an athlete who's had a bad experience with a certain exercise, like whether it be a deadlift or something like that. Said, oh, I don't like that exercise because it's hurt my back before or I don't like that because it's made me feel this way. Or I don't want to do that conditioning because that like it made me throw up. That may your body's going to hold on to that stress into that trauma in certain parts of your body. And that can be an emotional response, too. So what you're doing with RPR and PRI a little bit is getting your body to reset and relax, and that can shift you from a sympathetic to a parasympathetic state, but also to get you to understand, hey, this is safe. I'm okay. Let me do what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, but I think that what's really neat about it is if people are familiar with anatomy trains and then kind of just the whole idea of the things move up and down the chain, and they move up and down those lines, and that's why I was like, you're talking about like here and here and it's like, oh, and then it's like your opposite hip and it's like, yeah, well, that's just, you know, like the accident's here, but the traffic jam's all the way down here, you know, and it's, yeah, that's really interesting and I would like to see more of it. Um, we're trying to get a course here actually at some point, hint, 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 star, 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 Cal, if you're listening, um, <laughs> uh, you know, to bring it to, to our staff because I think that it would be great. I think that it's also, and correct me if I'm wrong here, a great kind of like cross-sectional thing between sports med and S&C as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where sometimes I think where it, it's, it's incredible if you've got like really good um, support from your athletic trainers and stuff to get you to understand um, what we're ultimately doing with RPR is you're putting the power – into the athlete's hands, right? You're not making them over-reliant on you as a coach or over-reliant on them as a trainer. You're getting them to understand, hey, here's how to take care of yourself and here's how to do it and here are the points and this is what you're supposed to do daily or whenever you need to, whenever you feel like you need to reset. You're teaching the athlete self-sufficiency and independency and how to take care of their own health and well-being because one day you're not going to be there, I'm not going to be there. They have to understand how to take care of themselves the correct way. So that's the other beauty of RPR too is 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 you're giving the athlete some of that the, that independence and proficiency and understanding how to take care of themselves a little bit better too. So and once they have once they feel the difference in it, they'll do it all the time. So buy-in is that much quicker because that's a, that's an issue we had with PRI sometimes is you have to may do it you might have to do it for multiple sets you may have to do it multiple times a day to reset yourself or reposition yourself. Okay. Um, the RPR sometimes it can stick for a couple days. It can stick for a week. It can stick for two weeks. It can stick for a month, depending on what you do following it. If you do exercise the right way, in the correct way, and you're cementing those patterns within the nervous system. Now, is this something too though, where like exercise techniques that you're associating with? Um, assisting in these resets where they, f- you know, like if you do like when you're coaching a kid like to do a single leg RDL, 
yeah. or, or a squat, and it's, they, they start to get it when they feel this was incorrect. Yeah. Is it similar that they can start to feel these things that need to be reset show up so they know the mistakes they're making, or is it is it a little different than that? No, I think it, I think that's where you want to get to. Like I always tell our athletes that if you can't sense and you can't feel, then you can't change. And that's in regards to exercise, um, behavioral issues, anything. If you can't sense and feel what you're doing, then you cannot change. So that that's your heightened level of awareness. So what PRI and RPR does is is it allows the athlete to sense and feel. So sometimes it may just give them a little kinesthetic awareness of where their glute is or where this is, where their QL is, where their ASIS, where all these things are. And if the brain can sense and feel, then it can move much more efficiently and it can change the behavior techniques that you want. Like we've had instances where we'll do RPR and activation and then we'll do like a glute circuit, glute circuit or a glute warm up, And we hammer our glutes for, for 10 to 20 minutes. And they'll say, wow, I can feel my glutes so much stronger, right? And if we can feel our glutes that much more, then it's then it's going to help carry over into when we squat or we deadlift or we hinge or we do all these types of exercises. Now we can cement that with load, right? You can cement it with volume or you can cement, cement it with load. Like they're both going to be really good inputs into the nervous system. But we want to make sure that we're getting what we want to get. Like how many times, I don't know if you're experienced – You've done like band walks and ankle band stuff and sometimes the kids will say, I feel my TFL or I feel it here. I don't feel it where I want to feel it. You know what I mean? Or like you do you know, clamshells or you want to make sure you feel their glute meat and not elsewhere, right? And so what we're trying to do is get them to understand how to sense and feel in the right places. And what we found is that when you when you hit some activation stuff, they'll be like, oh yeah, I feel my abs right away. I feel this right away. I feel, I feel what I'm supposed to be feeling right away. I feel my quads more. I feel my hamstrings more. All right, so now you're getting what you want to get out of it. That's really cool. So then, have you looked at this? Because there's a, across both of those teams, there's some common, you know, maladies that we'll we'll call them between basketball and hockey that are, that are between each sport that are similar within the that group. Have you found that through identifying these corrections that are done with the RPR? that there's changed some of your exercise selection or some of your programming decisions, or has this helped kind of push that forward in a positive manner? Um, I don't know if it's reduced exercises or changed anything. I think it's probably changed the way we might coach them a little bit. Um, for example, if we're doing like any kind of neck exercise and stuff like that, like sometimes you may compensate with your neck with your hands. You may grip a little bit more. So we might say, be able to wiggle your fingers while you do these exercises. Be able to do this. Be able to talk while you're doing these exercises. We're not compensating with our neck and our jaw when we're doing other exercises. So how we coach and cue things might be a little bit different. Like what we see is we don't want them to like grit their teeth and, and create a ton of tension if we want to flex their hip. Like if we're trying to do a remedial task like a mobility – like you shouldn't have create a whole ton of tension within your face and your arms to be able to do a simple hip circle, if that makes sense. No. Because um, if you are, if you're if you're cheating and compensating your neck and using your hand or using your shin, you're probably using that to help create force somewhere else that where it can't do the job. And let's take a hip circle for example. If you can't use your psoas and your and your hip musculature, your glutes the right way to do a hip circle, stepping over a hurdle or whatever it may be and you see them clenching and gripping or tensing up their jaw, then they're trying to create force somewhere else up and down that chain to do the job of their hip. 
Does that make sense? 100%. Yeah. So, so what it is, so it allows you to be able to see these things a little bit more clearly. If, um, so you can try to say, Hey, relax or talk while you're doing that too, or just breathe. You might be able to make sure that you can try to try to get their movement cleaned up a little bit more. No, that's, that's fascinating. And then, because the, the one thing that Cal has spoken about is that the, there is a need to program things that are going to help assist with re-myelinating that firing pattern yeah, if we match. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what are some examples that you've seen with that that you've had some really good success with? So, so remyelination, neuroplasticity, I'm a huge believer in it. And if you, if you follow PRI, like you're going to understand neuroplasticity, which basically means that the brain can change. But the brain can change in response to what you give it. So you have to give these inputs over and over and over and over again. So I'm going to give you a glute example. Um, and um, you know what your homunculus is, right? Mm-hmm. Like Kind of like the brain map within the brain. And you're going to have – the body's representation within the homunculus in, the, in this part of your brain. And the the homunculus usually has a large face, hands, and feet because you've got the most kind of sensory neurons there. So you get – so um, the, the brain's repre- representation is that it's easier to use the muscles within your hands, your feet, and your face. But the area around the hip gets to be – is a, has a smaller representation. Mm-hmm. So those muscles need more exposure – to the brain to understand how to fire those a little bit better so the myelination can improve, right? So then you can use those muscles without having to think about them so hard. Like think about you work with basketball too. A lot of those guys the first time, like don't, don't they don't know how to use your glutes. They don't know you how to use your backside. So you have to constantly coach them and get them to understand that this is what you're supposed to be feeling. This is how you're going to cue it. This is the things you need to do. We've done this, uh, like I said, this 20-minute this warm-up where it's just some basic calisthenics, but also glute exercises interspersed where they're like one minutes, two minutes. Like, and I can send it to you if you want, where we're trying to hammer home that of how to fire their glutes the right way in all different planes too, within the sagittal plane, frontal plane, transverse plane, um, extra rotation, abduction, extension, all these types of things. So they get them to understand how and what it should feel like over and over and over and over and over and over again. To the point where we don't have to do it for the first in our postseason block anymore, and we can just throw it in one time a week for it, and we'll cut it in half for ten minutes. But our athletes will say, "Wow, Coach B, I feel my glutes more than I've ever had before. Wow, like I feel that like so much more. Or my back doesn't hurt. Or this, you know, this doesn't hurt. So they start to understand how to do things the right way because they can sense and feel after we've reset, and then we've hit them with the right exercises so that their brain has no option but to use the right muscles in the correct way." That's awesome. And even more so, you know, we're talking basketball players. If the back's not an issue because of their hip, their knee definitely is. Absolutely. Yep. And, and, and the glutes are the engine. The glutes are the engine to that. And so, and, and just think about like, so if you don't use your glutes the right way, you're going to compensate. And most, most compensations are going to happen at your hamstrings. You're going to happen at your low back. So you can clear up some issues there. By instant by instantly getting your glutes to fire better, and then you load them with deadlifts and, and and the like, or split squats and all that kind of stuff, and then you can really hammer home some strength and solidify those patterns with load. Yeah, no doubt. Now I know that the one thing I do know about the reset is it goes kind of three layers. It's almost like a target, with the middle <laughs> being diaphragm, abdominal area. Yeah. So there's a, a huge emphasis placed on breathing, mm-hmm. and and 
diaphragmatic breathing. So how does the work with resetting that fit in well with PRI? Because I think the one thing that most people associate PRI with is the breathing. Yeah, and, and, and they're correct. And the biggest thing is getting you to understand how, not to, I guess, breathing correctly, but really getting you to understand how to exhale. Because most people will live in this kind of sympathetic stress extended state where your ribs are going to be actually rotated and you never fully exhale. And that's a key thing to understand with PRI is it wants you to breathe the right way, but to be able to do that effectively, you have to learn how to exhale first. So when you exhale, you're going to get rib internal rotations. Your ribs kind of rot- drop down. Your rib cage comes down. Your pelvis comes up underneath you. That's their kind of – once you get in that position, you have a zone of opposition, which basically means that you can use your diaphragm the right way. And it's going to be that much stronger and it's in a better position. Just think about anything. If you get anything in a better position, you're going to be that much stronger. If you get your feet set underneath, you're going to have a better chance of making a jump shot rather than if your feet are not set. So you got to get in the right positions first and foremost. And that's where some RPR doesn't really go into like positional position of breathing. It says where you should inhale and, and that's really about it. But if you can draw, if you understand both camps a little bit, you can understand how to take the breathing emphasis from PRI and apply it to the same thing that RPR wants you to do. But you've got to be able to exhale first. And once you can fully exhale, then you can get a bigger breath and you can get, you'll be able to fill your lungs that much more. And if you can fill your lungs that much more, you're going to get more air. You're going to get more oxygen. You don't have to take as many breaths. Your stroke volume can decrease. So you're going to have all these really good adaptations from it. Um, and then you'll start to sense the changes that start to happen right away. Things that, are, that were tight aren't so tight anymore. Um, things that had a little bit more tension and tone are going to be a little bit more reduced. You're going to have a little bit more range of motion in certain places. You're going to feel these differences right away if you can understand how to breathe the correct way. And going back to what you talked about, like the kind of like the target. So it, the way they classify an RPR and Douglas Hill kind of made it up is there's zones. So zone one is your diaphragm, your psoas, and your glutes. So like that's it. Those three things have to be working, right? When you can do that and think about the other way, it's you're having you're looking for proximal stability and ultimately to get distal mobility. So if you've got diaphragm, psoas, and glutes all doing their own job, then zone two which is quads, hamstrings, lateral sling, abs, can do what they're supposed to do. And when they're doing what they're supposed to do, then zone three, which is your extremities, arms and legs, shoulders, they can do what they're supposed to do. But if you don't have diaphragm, so as glute, what they're supposed to be doing, you may compensate from the outside in to do the job. And they call that like an imploding type athlete. Mm -hmm. You're having your forces go inward versus having your forces go outward. Hmm. It makes sense. So, so again, so proximal stability for distal mobility. So diaphragm, so as glutes, have to be doing their own job. Yeah, imagine that proper function <laughs> in the the middle of or the core yeah. leads to proper work and efficiency with your limbs. Yeah, and so it, it comes down to breathing the correct way and in the right position. Because if you're if you're overextended, there's no way that you're gonna be able to breathe. The correct way. You'll figure out a way, but it's not. It's going to be inefficient, and so that's a big thing: is getting in the right positions. And, and a lot of this I liken to, or I learned the way, way, way back with with Jay Schroeder is isometrics. Is get the body in the right positions, do the right job at the right time, so it can do what it's supposed to do. And, are you familiar with ISOs? Yeah. 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 I thought. So. And so, I learned that way, way, way back in the day. But like. That's a big thing is a lot of this stuff comes back to ISOs 
in position. So everything comes back into to position. Can you get in the right position to do whatever task you're asking the body to do? If you can, now can you get in and out of those positions? Now can you get in and out of those positions with load? Then can you get in and out of those positions with speed? Then can you get in and out of those positions with speed repeatedly? That's the end goal. Right, so it all comes down to basic positions. So if you can't get in the right position to breathe the right way, that's the first and foremost step. You have to be able to do that. So <clears throat> the first reset that our pair will teach you is your diaphragm reset, which is just rubbing your sternum in this upside down Y, which is basically following your rib cage and your abdominal fascia. And all you're doing is just rubbing those spots, but focusing on breathing from your belly and from your diaphragm the correct way. So you understand how to fill up. And if you can do that, instantaneously you'll your athletes will notice change instantaneously they'll feel like they can get more air they're like less restricted through abdominal region they can get more air in the right way their shoulders might sit just a little bit different their gait might change just a little bit differently um they'll feel their hips free up a little bit more effectively i had a kid yesterday a kid who's going to graduate because he had a little little left hip left hip pain only thing that we did, we, we tested him, and he, had, and he had no compensations, which isn't a good thing, which basically means his body couldn't cheat anymore. And basically, he was so stressed. And that kind of, it makes sense, too. It's like if you're so stressed, he's, he found, he's finding a job, trying to figure out where he's going to live, trying to work on like work, family, life balance, all those types of things, trying to figure out his bills, all that kind of stuff. He's stressed. His body couldn't compensate. So all we did with him is just get him how to breathe the right way. And just we did diaphragm and asked him how to stand up. And he's like, my hip pain went away. <laughs> you know, I think that what's the neatest part of that, B, is what we've talked about with our initial phase with our athletes is, you know, kind of following like what, what Somers does with gymnastics bodies and, and being able to hold these positions mm -hmm. and, and get into crawling patterns prior to, to loading and getting into the one set protocol we usually use. Because the whole idea is we want these kids to squat or split squat or deadlift or all these things, but they don't own any of the positions. No. Mm -mm. And, and it's just like I'm sitting here listening to you say this, and it's like, hey, dum-dum, why haven't you thought of this? Like, if they can't breathe, like, that's more important than squatting. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was just, just a smidge. Like, so I think that that whole idea is brilliant. Yeah, it's, um, and I, I'm not gonna lie. Like when PRI, when, when PRI started getting big and emphasis on breathing, I'm like, okay, like I get it. Like, you know, breathing is important, but I didn't understand the positions that you're breathing in. Cause you can get into a high stress environment and you'll notice what happens. You're, you're, you're going to have shortness of breath because you're in a high stress environment. If you can learn how to, excuse me, learn how to fully exhale, you can automatically get a calming effect upon your nervous system and your body. Like think about like all the, like yoga and like Pilates and all these types of disciplines. They're getting you to understand how to control your breath in these, in these poses, in these positions. It's one thing to breathe when you're laying down on the ground, but can you do it when you're standing up? Can you do it in a split squat? Can you do it in a, in a lunge ISO? Can you do it when you're in a push-up ISO, can you do it in all these positions? Can you own it? Like Greg Cook would often say that too, is can you own your positions? And you can own your positions when you can breathe effectively and efficiently in these positions. But it comes down to, do you even know how to breathe the right way? Yeah. You know what I mean? You take 20,000 breaths within a day, and if you're doing them incorrectly and inefficiently, then think about what that does to your whole chain. Oh, you know? Wow. So...
So just like uh, it's it's kind of learning about this stuff has kind of simplified my approach, but it's also gotten me to think a little bit more holistically. And I think I think it comes back to I think safety is a big thing. Like I think safety of your environment, your culture, like your uh, is you know how 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 you how you run your weight room, how you do those things. I think those are really important things to the effectiveness of your culture and what you're trying to get your athletes to do. And this is one thing that we've kind of thought of recently is, and I can talk about this too, is it's, if the, and I mentioned before, if the brain doesn't feel safe and within a certain environment feels threatened, it's not going to get the right output. And I, and we all, we're all, as coaches, we're all going to coach our kids hard because we want them to be the best. But they, if, if they know that you're coming from a place of love and that you care about them and care about their development, then when you coach them hard, they're going to understand Hey, he's doing it or she's doing it because they care about me. If the kid thinks that like that you as a coach like don't value them and you just coach them hard, they're going to push back at you every single time and they're not going to be as good as they can be. Does that make sense? 100%. Nobody cares how much you know till they know how much you care. Yeah. So so a lot of that's like coming like a little bit full circle with what we're doing and, and we actually just played around with this last week is have you ever heard of color therapy? Yes, yeah, I actually so, have. So, we we were just messing around. Like, a, like a good friend of mine, who's a former intern, we were playing around with it. We're like, okay, let's let's mess around with this. So we had different colored dodgeballs, and we tested out with some some of our different athletes. One of them was a pro goalie who came back. Um, we held up different colored balls, tested his, his lateral raise strength, and, and looking at different colored balls. When he was when we held up a red ball, he was strong. When we held up Yellow, he was really strong. When we held up blue, his arm dropped right away. When we held up green, his arm dropped right away. When we held up orange, his arm dropped right away. And we held up purple, he was strong. So his body and his brain, more importantly, had a certain feeling or certain response to the certain colors. And what we like to call it is, is just a tag. It might have an emotional tag with a certain color. And if it feels threatened or does or is, perceives one color as stressful, it won't allow the output of strength in this case to happen. Follow me so far? Mm -hmm. So we started talking to him afterwards and we're like, okay, why do you think those colors were they where they were? And I, I won't tell you what team he plays for, but he said, I had a very stressful year, first year of pro hockey. And the team's colors were blue and green. So he associated blue and green with stress. You know, and so he didn't respond to that. And the other team was was orange. Other color was orange. He said, "I had a really bad performance against this team this year." So it could be the perception of when I see that, I think of that. But then yellow, he was really strong, and he thought that's Quinnipiac. That's he's like, I have so many good emotions and so many good memories here that that's my rock. That that that's could almost be his reset color. Cool. Makes sense so far. One hundred percent. You know, you might think I'm like. No, I, I love uh, this. I think this is awesome. So what we did, so then we just had him activate and we had him reset while looking at one of his stressful colors. Retested him, held solid as strong as a rock. But then we did one of his others. So we'd say, say that that was green. Then we held up blue, retested him, strength went away. Mm. So some of the resets could be color specific. Because if you could think about it again, so say you got in a car accident. Right, and in the car you got your accident to was a red car. You may have a negative connotation when you see a red car. Yeah. 
know what I mean? I would almost or, be interested to see, like, if you if you can identify those with issues that are around, mm-hmm. if you would almost have them put in, like, different parts of the room where they would look at whatever would be a, a release and they work on their things, if, if, if it would hold better. I wonder. I wonder. The strategy we gave him was, all right, before you go into a game, look at that. Look at the color. Look at the color of your opponent for that day and reset. So essentially tell your brain and your body you're safe so you can perform. I like that. And so, because think about a goalie in hockey. When they're coming down, all they see is color. They see color coming at them. So if they get a perceptual uh, a perception of like, oh, oh shit, like, like that's where that's the way they're going to be. But if you have a perception of like, you know, I'm good or I'm, I'm calm, I'm, uh, I'm ready. Like you can be able, your body's going to work that much more efficiently. And that's anything you get into a, you get into a public speaking or you get into a situation where you're like, oh shit, like, I don't know what I'm going to do today. Like your body's going to shut down and that's the power of the mind too. So some of this stuff has really taught us about the importance of the psychological aspect and the mental side of things and making sure we have the right environment to get better. You know what I mean? The right, the, the right music, the right colors, the right, the, the right lighting, all this stuff to make sure that you have the optimal environment to get everything that you want to get out of your kids. You know, I, we've got to wait more for I've got to wait room with floor to ceiling windows. I think that that's awesome compared to a, to a room where you've got four walls, you see no light. The only light you see is fluorescent light coming from the from the ceiling, you know. Like my like the energy in in this room is awesome. Kids want to be here, you know what I mean. I think the color schemes that we we have is is good too. It's an inviting place. Like I liken it to Cheers. You remember Cheers? Yeah, yeah. Where people would come in and be like, "Hey, no," and like that that's what we do. Like we greet our kids. We're loud. Like we have a lot of energy. Like it's it's fun and and I think that's inviting. And when kids are feel invited, they're gonna feel safe. It's like a village. You know, like if you're, if you're, if you feel safe and invited in that village, you're going to, you're, you're going to be comfortable. You can perform. You can do whatever you want to do. You're not afraid of failing. Yeah. No, I think that's some awesome stuff. I think that bringing it all the way back around to the atmosphere and the environment in your room is, is a perfect spot to bring this to, to a close brother. This is killer. This is some really eye opening things that'll, that'll make coaches think about some stuff. And uh, again, Cal, we're still trying to host that one here. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's um, I, I've thought a lot about it. I've heard people talk about it. You've probably given me the best insight into it and as to why it is actually really important. So for that, I thank you, man. This is awesome. I, I can't wait for this to get up. People are going to love it. I hope so. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, man. Appreciate you being on. We'll be in touch real soon, bud. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Yeah. And a huge thanks to Quinnipiac Head Strength and Conditioning Coach Brzezesh Patel for spending the time with us today. Guys, like I said earlier, RPR is a hot, kind of sexy thing that's really being brought around right now. And there's a lot of people having a lot of success with it. And B was really open and honest with how it fits in, not just with his programming, but connects it into anatomy trains and PRI. I mean, super stuff. B, thank you so much, man. This was awesome. And, uh, if you enjoyed the talk, please hit the like button on YouTube, iTunes, Podomatic, whatever it may be. And as always, guys, with anything of ours, share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it may be. 
Again, guys, we're just trying to get great information out to all the great coaches out there. And again, thank you guys for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.